This is episode 111 of the Landscape Photography Show, and before we get into today's episode, I just want to say a special thank you for those of you over on Patreon who not only listen to the podcast, but then continue to listen to the bonus audio material from each of our guests every single week. You get access to those, and for that, I thank you generously. Not only do you get access to that, but other benefits with those tiers as well of $5, 10 and $20, three tiers to fit any budget. So if you want to get access to that bonus audio material that comes with any of the tiers, you can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and sign up for one that fits your budget. Now, in today's episode, we're talking with the great Franka Gabler. And I, look, I was really excited for this episode because Frank and I have been Facebook friends for quite some time. And every single time I'm scrolling through Facebook and I see one of her images, not only with a generous post to go with it, but also thought provoking as well. It always has the tendency to stop me in my tracks and make me think a little bit deeper about life, my photography experiences that are going on. So the second that I signed on at a local coffee shop because I was having internet issues and we did it remotely from a coffee shop parking lot, um, I'm always just floored at, at how she speaks, what she speaks about. And, and what she conveys through her subtle style of photography, which we will get into much, much more in this podcast episode. The Landscape Photography Show is a podcast where you can listen to your favorite photographers talk about their journey in photography. It's a place where you can be inspired and also learn how to take better photos. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. We're here with Franca Gabler. Franca, joining us from California today. Franca, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Got a nice cold brew next to me, uh, sitting in the warm sun, so you can't really complain here. Um, why don't, if anyone is unfamiliar with you, who you are as a photographer and as a person, why don't you fill us in on how you got started in photography and, and what led you to where you are right now? All right. So um, I don't know how far back I'll start, but um, you will recognize my accent. Uh, so I I wasn't born in the United States. I was born and raised in Croatia. And um, I, um, I always had my, um, I had artistic, um, I needed to express myself artistically when I was a child. And um, I also uh, had love for nature. And these things, in the beginning, they were together. But then later in my life, as I was pursuing my education, they diverged. So um, that love for nature remained always. But photography was kind of put a little bit on the back burner and uh, I revived it later in life. So uh, back in Croatia, I mean, if you heard of Croatia, it, it is a beautiful country. And um, I grew up in Split. It is the largest uh, city on the coast. 
and uh, nautical tourism is a big thing. So Croatia has about 1,100 islands and uh, large rocks, sea stacks. And uh, um, so my family, my dad had a sailing boat and uh, it was 33 foot sailing boat. So we spent our summers cruising the Adriatic and um, visiting all the islands, secluded bays. And um, yeah, my, my dad passed that love of nature to me. And then, um, yeah, I was always good in, um, you know, I was artistic as a child too. So um, I, I used to draw and paint and always do crafts. But I, I never took that seriously. I it was always something to do in my free time after I did all the homework and you know education and important subjects are um, important. This was kind of entertainment for me and for my family. And um, so I um, I went off to college. I I got my degree as uh, agriculture engineer, and after that, soon after, I enrolled in uh, the graduate school. So I got my master's and I started my PhD when um, I moved to California. And um, moving to California, I worked. Uh, at Agricultural Research Service, it's a USDA, uh, it's a government agency, um, and um, it, it was beautiful. I I had all the creative freedom to design my experiments. To uh, it was a play to me. I just it was very creative. I I, I loved every moment of it, and uh, only later in my life so let's say maybe five six later when i um discovered photography again before i used photography like most everyone else to photograph uh you know family outings and trips and travels and i never really uh looked into photography as an art expression for me. And um, that changed uh, in 2006. And it could be that uh, it was the advancement of digital cameras that, that actually sparked that interest in photography. Because I, I like learning, I like experimenting, and um, so the opportunity to review the image, uh, to make adjustments, to make mistakes, you know, that, that's all process of learning. And, and I always like learning. So, um, but in 2006, my friend from Italy visited and I had to take him to Yosemite. So, uh, let me get back a little bit. Um, so I moved to California and I moved close to Yosemite National Park. It was a small little sleepy town of Oakhurst. It's a southern entrance to Yosemite National Park. 
and there was not really much to do in Oakhurst. You know, all the uh, restaurants usually close by, you know, 7 p.m. <laughs> so it was very different from my former life in Croatia when we would go out at 10 p.m. And um, so I, I basically, for a long time, I was focused on on my um, scientific career, of, on, on publishing papers. And uh, of course, I was exploring Yosemite. So I couldn't wait until someone from Europe would come to visit so I can take them to Yosemite and show them all that I learned about the park. And uh, in 2006, my friend from Italy came and he was already seriously into photography to the point that he quit his uh, really good job and um, decided to pursue art photography. And um, so I took him to Yosemite and he was all super excited. I remember we were um, at Awani Meadow and uh, in the back background there is Half Dome and he was waiting for the perfect time when the light is low and the light is skimming the top of the trees in the foreground. And I was standing in the back and, uh, you know, just waiting for him to take that shot so we can move on because there were so many things I wanted to show him. And, uh, and then on the second trip, he just gave me his uh, old camera which was uh, a digital, like it was Nikon D100. And uh, this was the first time that I had a digital DSLR before that I had a film camera. And, uh, and I just loved it instantly. And I was reviewing the images on the back of the screen. I could fine tune the composition. And the first time I, I basically decided, not decided, but I, I figured out that this is really fun. And um, so we would come home, we reviewed our images, we compared what we photographed. And of course, there was, there was a steep learning curve in front of me. But at least I, I, I knew that I was so excited and I started exploring um i i couldn't wait until we'll go out again and go take photos together so i took him to the coast and and so for the period of three weeks that he was here i totally caught the photography bug and then i got my camera my first dslr and uh and i was i, I never stopped photographing ever since so how many years is that? 15 years? And um, in the beginning, I was, I was exploring, um, well, I was photographing everything, but um, close to my house, there is a course called Creek. It's a kind, it's a tiny little seasonal creek that, you know, if, if you look at the uh, large vista of it, it's kind of ugly. It, 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 there's so much clutter and debris. But when you uh, go a little bit um, 
you know, narrow down your views and start focusing on details, I discovered this was like endless opportunity for me. So uh, the first year I was mostly photographing Coors Gold Creek and the boulders. And I was, I was learning a lot. I was learning the artistic side of photography. Uh, I was learning how light is important, how shutter speed is important. And also I was learning the technical uh, aspects of photography, for example. And it was all based on, you know, trial and error. I, I figured out that I, if I use long focal lengths, that I will not have everything in focus and that I will have to focus that. So um, then I also experimented with, with like, you know, different shutter speeds for having different effects of water. So yeah, th this, is, this is how I started. And then, um, and then later, of course, my photography evolved and it's still evolving. Yeah, I'm smiling just because the story you told about, you know, you're you're waiting for him to finish up and you're ready to move on. That That's so reminiscent of so many times that I went out photographing with some people that I looked up to and respected. And I was just ready to move on, not really focused on the light and focused on, you know, the exact composition and waiting for that right moment is is that one moment do you think that is kind of the catalyst to carry you into to where you are now exactly that i i know exactly when that happened and and that was it um because before that i i just used cameras basically you know the photographing snapshots and i i always knew how to you know operate a camera because in my high school uh, I I was part of the photographer group, so we basically um, just yeah, it was an excuse to to um, to have uh, photos taken of each other. So you know, as the girls we like to look pretty and imagine that you know we will be uh, models and stuff. <laughs> so uh, we developed our own film and we developed our own prints in the darkroom, but it was just the basic, you know, it, we didn't learn much other than simple, you know, processing. And then uh, later when I moved to California, when I started working at um, USDA Agriculture Research Service, um, then we had a film camera. It was also Nikon. I shoot with Nikon primarily. And uh, yeah, I, I had to photograph my experiments. I had to photograph the plants, but it was just basically, you know, correctly exposing and that was it. You know, there was nothing artistic in it. And that um, your trip in Yosemite back in 2006 is the first time when I realized, you know, there is so much more to photography than just correctly compose and expose. And and um, and then to me, it was like endless, an endless opportunity for learning. And I'm, you know, I'm still discovering new things. And it, and I, I learn until, you know, as long as I'm alive, I hope so. You know, I'm, 
You talk about growing up in, in Croatia and a completely different culture than the United States, I'm sure. What kind of emphasis was placed on the arts in a Croatian family and the Croatian education system? Well, it, it, it's different for each family, but, but my family was uh, very much so into education. I knew since I was five years old, they're already talking about, you know, oh, when you go to college and so on. So, so it was like just normal thing to me. I knew, I knew exactly that time I was going to go to college and get my degree. But then later when I started college, then it was, you know, oh, you know, you need to go get your master's. You need to go to get your uh, PhD and all that. And so um, to me, that was, that was all normal. But my my family was also artistic. I I remember how I remember my grandpa. He was already retired, you know, when I when I was like five years old, and I remember him. He was always painting. Uh, I remember his typewriter. He was writing children's poems, reading it back to us, and we had to listen and provide feedback. <laughs> And um, my dad also, um, yeah, well, he he yeah he was a physician, and um, he, but he never wanted us to become doctors ourselves. He, he wanted us to try something else. He thought this would take too much of our time. But they did encourage us uh, to to be artistic, but. You know, there was a fine line. I, I knew exactly when they figured out we are, you know, too much involved into art, they would quickly make sure that we understand that this is just part of the, you know, like free time and and uh, entertainment. This is not the serious path in our life, uh, a career to pursue. So, uh, yeah, you know, you children can understand when when parents are serious so, so we um we knew the school was important and i knew as long as um i was good in school i could do everything else and and this this, this is how my family was so we, we were um you know uh, we traveled a lot my parents wanted us to see uh, you know, different European countries. Uh, we would go abroad every year because they wanted us to see there is a life elsewhere that's different. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I think I had a pretty uh, good childhood. What was it like for you, if you remember back to coming to California? Uh, and moving here, what was that like for you emotionally, and and kind of how did you cope with it? Oh well, <laughs> I, I I moved here. I moved here because of um, Charlie. Said so that that Charlie is yeah. His Charlie is my husband, and uh, his parents moved from United States to Croatia and built a house next to ours on the beach, and. Uh, so many years later, we reconnected, and it was a love story. And I, I basically moved here because I, I followed Charlie. I wanted, 
<laughs> that was, I mean, that that that's silly, but yeah, that's what I did. Are you sure that's not like a Nicholas Sparks movie or novel or something? I mean, that is like something from a book. <laughs> is it? <laughs> well, you know, I never, I never thought I was going to move. You know, my my life was kind of set in Croatia. I. I was in grad school. I was working at the research institute, and uh, everybody thought I had like the perfect life and perfect career. And uh, and then you know everything went upside down. You know, I suddenly wanted to you know change everything, and um, yeah, I I I moved here, and and it was very different. It was different in terms of. Um, you know, I moved to a small rural town and I came from the city. So uh, all what I used to do, I no longer could do. I used to, you know, go out. I would go to the theater performances, to exhibit openings. And, and this was non-existent here. It was... Uh, I, I had all these clothes that I brought with me that I never wore because I would look ridiculous in such clothes here. <laughs> so I, I quickly figured out, you know, that, yeah, this is, this is a big change. And um, I, was, I was always uh, really connected to seascapes because this is where I grew up. And then suddenly, you know, I'm in the mountain town and surrounded by mountains and uh, the ocean is like three hours away from me. And I thought I was going to miss that ocean and the sea so much. And in the beginning I did, but then I went to Yosemite and that that changed my perspective. I, I, I discovered oh, the mountains, how mountains could be beautiful. Um, before that, you know, mountains to me were just skiing. I didn't really pay attention to the beauty, to the nature. It was just if, you know, ski path is well-maintained or not. And, and, and so I came to Yosemite and I, yeah, I, I fell in love with Yosemite and, and that basically, um, I think, made it much easier for me to transition my way of life. Having such a background in the, in the sciences, what do you think the bridge is between science and photography that kind of helps so many scientists? And I've, I've talked to several people with PhDs and, and who work in engineering and sciences who also love photography. What do you think that bridge is to, to span the gap between the two? Oh, well, uh, personally, I think um, they're both creative. To, to be a good scientist, you have to be creative. You have to think of new ways of how to solve the problems. You And then you also always are seeking, you know, you're experimenting a lot. Uh, you have to have, you have to be creative thinker, you know, and, and, and the same is true in photography. So in science, when you are um, figuring out, you know, new project, 
or um, how to solve a problem. You can't just copy and repeat someone else's work. You have to come up with something new, the new way to look at it, the new method to solve it. So, um, and the same is that in in photography. So you you need to be creative. In photography, you can't just, you know, copy other people's work. You also have to have a personal vision and touch. And um, so you have to try and pursue new ideas. So to me, there's that bridge, that that, um, finding new ways on how to express things in photography and science is like finding new ways how to solve the problem. It's it's so interesting for me to hear, you know, your take on the sciences versus my take on the philosophies. You know, I was never great at science and mathematics, but listening to your approach and how you can get there uh, you know, composing an image, waiting for the right moment, problem solving. It's fascinating for me uh, because I'm so, I, I, st- I focus so much on the philosophy and the psychology of photography so much. You know, for you, what do you think on, on that end? What do you feel happens to your mind when you are in nature, when you are out photographing in a location that you're so familiar with, but constantly different with changing light? Well, um, I I approach my photography um, differently than I approach my science. It's it's more intuitive. Um, I, I seldom make plans or, you know, some photographers know exactly they research locations they uh, measure the sun and the moon and the angle they're rising and i usually just drive um i and 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 see what draws my attention what calls me you know to photograph and um most of the time, I if I ever make plans, I I I very seldom adhere to these plans. I, I I will abandon them if I see some scene or beautiful light somewhere else along the way. I will stop right there, and um, I I like to um, uh, hike a little bit, not just photograph from the parking lot if possible. Because um, I need that time alone, and I need that time to to kind of switch my mind from. I need to remove all the, um, you know, clear all the cheddar in my brain. Uh, everything that I was, I need to make connection. I need to. Uh, it's almost like like a quick meditation, you know, to so when I put on my photo backpack and I made, I moved just maybe 10, 15 yards, you know, into the forest path. And I I start immediately decompressing it, it, and, and my mind opens. And, um, and then I try to notice things around me. 
I, I, I'm trying to be aware of the present moment. And, and if I don't do that, uh, I, whatever I photograph, it, it has less meaning to me. Or it, it may be like a cliche photograph. But um, when I'm able to connect, and, and, and nature does this to me, you know, I, I, other, thing, other things do not. So I, I really need to, um, you know, just try to, I usually do close my eyes and I try to listen to the sounds around me. And if there is a river flowing, I listen to the murmur of the river or, you know, birds singing or calling each other, uh, you know, smelling that wet earth and the trees and, and then instantly brings me into you know, into the moment and and uh, and puts me into perspective. I, I I kind of become part of it. I'm no longer observer. I know that I have my place in that nature link <laughs> link in the chain. And uh, um, and then I I I notice so many more things than I usually would do. And, um, you know, I, I can pay attention, observe, uh, feel, and, and I think it results in, in, in more meaningful photographs for me. How did you reach that approach, though, from, from the person who was frustrated by your friend waiting on the right light to, to somebody who approaches everything by patience and, and waiting i mean that's that's a great difference in approaches and in a short period of time uh i i think um i reached that when i started going out alone without my friends uh, before in my early years of photography um so from 2006 to 2000 maybe 12 or so, I was, you know, always waiting for someone, oh, call a friend, oh, shall we go? Can you go with me? Or, you know, we call each other and we would photograph together. And and um, to me, as a beginning beginner at that time, you know, I followed them. I followed my friend's vision. I didn't follow my own vision. And... Uh, uh, so I was photographing what they were photographing and trying to find something else there. But, uh, you know, it was basically, um, I, I wasn't able to connect to, to the nature as I was when I started going along. You know, I, I, going out photographing with friends, is, it's a social experience. We talk, we, uh, you know, and then you know, your mind uh, loses focus because one moment you are talking about some personal things and problems, the next moment, you know, there's the bird, and so it's basically go back and forth all the time. And, uh, and so I noticed that whenever I go and photograph with someone, I come home and I have maybe, maybe 20% of, uh, the keepers, you know, the photographs that I think they have potential. Because 
I I wasn't focused. And then it happened that um, you know some of them couldn't go, and I just needed to go. And I because I I I wanted. And then I I would go by myself, and and uh, that's how it started by me going out alone, photographing alone. It's just me and nature, nothing in between. And and that totally changed the way how I photograph and what I photograph. This this new approach that that happened over time that that you described in that transition to this new approach to your photography, and, and you paired with what what you said earlier about you know photographing something besides the cliche photograph, and this kind of rolls into to a thought I've been having lately of do do the locations that we predominantly shoot in have a way to dictate or push us towards a certain style do you think maybe cliche photographs in yosemite the over photographed locations pushed you into more of an intimate style of photography yes yes of course um so uh i still have um you know a full-time job and I am limited in um, time and travels, how far and how long I can go and travel. So Yosemite is basically my background. I My house is about an hour from, uh, well, 25 minutes from the entrance and then about an hour or so from Yosemite Valley. And to me, uh, that's my backyard. Other people go you know, to local parks, or, and I go to Yosemite. Uh, every everything else around me is private land. You know, I, I live in the countryside, and um, but it's someone's ranch. Uh, you know, someone's pasture. I can't really just go. You know, jump the fence and go there. So I, I go to Yosemite, and um, in the beginning. Um, and then I was photographing with my friends and also, um, you know, the expectations of a local clientele was uh, Yosemite photographs were um, associated with Yosemite icons. So, you know, you had to, it's not Yosemite photo if there is no half dominant or El Capitan or Cathedral Rocks or Yosemite Falls. So um, after my uh, two years of exploring Coors Gold Creek by my house, I started going to Yosemite regularly to photograph, and I realized that, uh, you know, I, I'm lacking those icons, Yosemite icons in my portfolio. And so I, since I live fairly close, I went back and, I, you know, every time when there was... Um, interesting weather happening, I, I I would go to Yosemite and my goal was to photograph, you know, all these known vistas in beautiful light or beautiful weather and drama or, you know, beautiful skies. And, but then um, I, I, and people noticed and people said, oh, you know, they're all admiring my photography. And, and I was kind of like left like what do they like about it it's similar to you know many other photographers photo 
photographs of Yosemite. It's what's my personal touch in it. It's just, you know, there's a, you know, beautiful cloud here or pink sky or nice light, but there are usual compositions. And, and, um, and since uh, I go there so often, I, I just, uh, you know, started uh, going off the beaten path in Yosemite, that means of the, uh, you know, parking lot pullout where you can photograph those icons from. And I started um, just uh, taking a short hikes, you know, by the river and exploring. And, um, and then I noticed so many other things that are still Yosemite and they have essence of Yosemite but they do not necessarily show Yosemite icons. And then also um, I uh, started to use the long focal length more and more. And I basically use my, um, you know, telephoto lens probably 80% of the time. And that long focal length allowed me to isolate a portion, interesting portion of a rock of half dome, you know, and, and some people will recognize it, but many people will not. And it's still Yosemite. It still has a feel of Yosemite. It still has that glow of the granite, you know, when in, in low light, when it's um, low, low angle sun, when it's beautiful, but it does not, it's not associated with a particular icon. It just, so my approach uh, for many years now is to 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 extract the portions of uh, larger scenes and distill it down, simplified, and um, distill it in couple important elements, and uh, but that still speaks Yosemite. People can still recognize its Yosemite. And, and I, I, it's not my only location. I mean, I go, you know, to Eastern Sierra or, or I go backpacking to uh, high countries and um, in back country, Yosemite back country. And uh, um, sometimes I go along the coast, but all my locations are basically within a couple hours of drive. And uh, I just stopped photographing. I mean, I was still here, you know, when it's a beautiful, beautiful uh, weather and sky and atmosphere, I may take a couple of uh, wide-angle compositions, including the, uh, you know, known rocks. But then quickly I switch to telephoto lens and start exploring that large rock and, and finding patterns, shapes, interesting light. Uh, I, I, I like trees too, a lot. Trees um, are my, one of my largest uh, portfolios. Um, so I'll, I'll find something that um, that's more meaningful for me. But I will not pass on the opportunity to photograph a large vista in special occasions. I think and parking lot photography is, is drastically underrated. Well, you know, uh, the, you have to preserve you have to preserve the park, and so uh, yeah, a lot of uh, in, in recent years, especially in, in last five years, um, 
when when uh, you know California suffered a huge drought until 2016, and then there were a lot of dead trees, and then the Park Service uh, had a lot of wood, and they built all these fences <laughs> and put the fencing in Yosemite. So uh, they they are protecting certain meadows. You can go there uh, at certain times. So. I mean, parking lots are there for a reason, but um, there are still places where you can go and explore on foot and, um, you know, have a personal experience. I think this is the perfect segue of talking about known locations and shooting them differently. And also you mentioned, you know, gathering portfolios, your portfolio of threes. can can you take a moment to describe your ice project um, that you're that you're doing? Actually, you you mentioned just before we started recording that you're going to the gallery to to drop off all your work. Um, what was the idea b- behind this, and and kind of how did this portfolio idea come to fruition for you? Uh, so, so we are talking talking about um, my ice elation project. Um, yeah. This, this is this is a, uh, a project uh, where I collected flowers, I um, froze them in a container uh, with water, and then I photographed the ice blocks on my um, light box in my studio. And um, I, I I usually don't do much of studio photography because. The outdoor experience is what I crave at all times. But um, with the 2020 pandemic and the closure of national and state parks, uh, and then uh, followed up by sheltering in place and self-isolation, and, um, you know, we were bombarded with the news that were 90% about pandemic. And um, I was watching, uh, you know, what's happening in New York, what was happening in Italy, and all this terrible uh, sad news. And and I couldn't go to Yosemite. I couldn't go to any of the state parks. And, and it was springtime, and it was the time when... Uh, around my house, it's it's usually beautiful. You know, you have all these spring flowers popping out and uh, provide different, as, you know, beautiful aspects of flowers. And uh, I, but I, I wasn't um, motivated to photograph it. I wasn't inspired at all. And and I tried several times. I would pick up my camera. I would walk around my property and then I realized I didn't really, I wasn't inspired to photograph. Then I would sit in my car and I I would drive around. Uh, I was looking for something to excite me, but I just didn't feel like photographing. And and then for a brief moment, um, I, I, I got, I became worried because I thought I lost my inspiration and I lost my creativity. And um, and photography is such a large part of my life and who I am now. And I thought, what am I going to do now if 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 I, you know, I'm not really inspired to photograph anymore. 
And then one day um, I froze an orchid stem uh, in my freezer and I photographed it on my um, light box and I just love the effect and all those delicate textures of cracked ice encasing the flowers, revealing the part of them. You know, you have ice bubbles um, embedded in ice that uh, that kind of obscure portion of those flowers that were in that ice block. So to me, uh, I it reminded me on... Um, photographing landscapes in fog you know where where parts of the trees are concealed and parts are revealed and it was all you know subtle and mysterious and um you know unstable and unpredictable because you know you never i never knew what i was going to get you know sometimes flowers would move and then they didn't freeze as i wanted it but then, then that inspired me, that orchid stem inspired me to start exploring the forms and patterns of different flowers encased in ice. And, and there it happened. My, my inspiration came back. And ever, uh, for a year or so after, I was just searching for flowers everywhere, in, in woodlands and meadows and, um, you know, by creeks and rivers vacant lots in my own garden in my friend's garden and and i always traveled uh with containers of water in my car uh, which i used to transport the flowers that i picked back to my home and uh and then i started sharing this on social media and everybody got super excited and i, I inspired quite a few people they were all you know message me and ask me you know how i did it and i shared my method with them and um so it, it i i was basically possessed at the time i just had to go out and uh, pick flowers and try them and see how they will look encased in ice so that that little project i i it, it sparked my creativity again and 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 helped me to refocus my thoughts from the doom and gloom of the initial stages of the pandemic to, to something that was beautiful and uplifting. So uh, I, I have quite a large body of work because I could photograph that once one frozen ice block in, in many different ways, you know. Um, details the whole block uh, portion of it uh, i i was moving my camera to to um arrange the composition to have more dynamic um curves or uh distribution of the key elements in my composition so uh if i didn't like the effect or something moved or if there was a neighboring uh, flower that would encroach in the space that i want to photograph I would just melt off that portion of the ice and then fill it with water and freeze it again. And then uh, next day I was, I had a new um, composition to photograph. So yes, I, I um, that's my next project. I have um, exhibit at Spectrum Art Gallery, which is one of the first uh, 
photographic galleries in California uh, that photography was pursued as an art form. And uh, the exhibit is starts opening is this um, this Thursday. So yeah, right right after we finish this podcast, I'm going to drop off my work and um, and my exhibit will be up on Thursday. Where can people go to find more out about you? Uh, they can go to my website, which is francagabler.com. Or they can find me on Facebook and Instagram, also with my name, Franca Gabler. Franca, thank you so much for joining us and talking photography and also introducing yourself so we could learn more about you as a person and a photographer. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for having me on this podcast. So you just heard Franca and I talk a lot about moving from Croatia to California, her photography journey and her style of photography. I didn't want the conversation to stop here. You know, over on Patreon, it's continuing to go. Not only is Franca a patron to the Landscape Photography Show, but so many others as well that have been on the podcast and who are just avid listeners. And I thank them so much. You know, over on Patreon, Frank and I are going to talk more about her style of photography. And I had a really unique topic to ask her about, you know, with so much attention lately being put on the subtle style of photography. Are we going into an age that is removed from the epic, grand, wide angle, high contrast, high saturated landscape photo to more of a subtle approach to photography? And I think her answer might shock you a little bit. So I hope to see you over there on Patreon again to sign up for any tier on Patreon of $5, 10 or $20 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston. I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>